So, the theme for this evening's message, what should we do with unbelieving family? What should we do with unbelieving family? And I'm going to take it from different passages of Scripture this evening. And really the reason why I'm doing this is at our prayer meetings, many people have asked, please pray for this and this unbelieving family member, such and such, so and so. And, um, and then one of our members even asked, can't I do a sermon about this sometime? Well, tonight is that sometime. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we hear his word and then go to the word of God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your, your children, for the gathering of believers, though we scattered around the city and across the city in this time of lockdown, we still thank you that we have the privilege of technology, that we can hear your word and that we can grow under your word, Lord. And we pray that you would strengthen our faith that our faith may be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, as we pray this morning, that our thoughts won't be fixed even on our own believing, but on Christ and Him alone. Amen. So all of us have unbelieving family members. Maybe it's an uncle, an aunt, a son or daughter, a father, mother, grandparents, grandchildren, a cousin or in-laws, well, whoever, we do have unbelieving family members and sometimes it's harder to share the gospel with them than it is with a complete stranger. Why is it? Well, I think one of the reasons is they see your sin and they know you. And maybe you're afraid because with a stranger in the street, you can share the gospel and just walk away and never see them again, but your family members, you're going to see them again. And you're afraid, perhaps, that relationships might be broken and they might be unhappy with you because you shared the gospel and they take offense. But in, in spite of that, we still do desire that they will be saved. So what should we do as Christians when it comes to unbelieving family members? Number one, don't be surprised if they reject the gospel. So, for instance, here's a young guy, let's call him John. He's very excited about his new faith, he's a new convert in Christ, and he goes and, and very excitedly shares it with his family, and they're not as excited as he is, and they reject it. And he's taken aback, completely taken aback. He didn't expect that. He's excited, why aren't they? But you can expect that kind of response. Because it's a, it's a consequence of the fall of man in Genesis 3. Right the next chapter, Genesis 4, you see a believing fam family member and a non-believing family member. Both of them are religious, but only one is saved. Abel is saved, Cain is not. 1 John 3 clearly tells us Cain was of the evil one. And that was Jesus' own experience. Jesus' own experience is that a prophet is not really known and accepted among the members of his own household. Jesus' own family said he's mad, he's crazy, he's gone nuts in Mark 3.21. And John 7 verse 5, not even Jesus' own brothers believed in him. And then many other passages in the teachings of Jesus, he says, if you're a follower of Christ, if they maltreated and ill-treated him and maligned him, what are they going to do with you? They're going to mock you, they're going to laugh at you, 
they'll push you aside. Jesus said that he has not come to bring peace but the sword in the, in the very same chapter, Matthew 10. Meaning that he's come to bring division in families. Not that he means for doing that. Not that he means, oh, I want to come and break up families. But, but if two people in a family believe in Christ and the other three don't, immediately the three who don't believe, they are enemies and they are hostile and opposed to the Christians in the family. Jesus said it will be mother against daughter and father against son and son against father and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and so on. Your own family members will hand you over to the authorities to be persecuted and thrown in jail and even be killed, Jesus said in Mark 13. So expect that. But if they do reject you, Luke ten sixteen, Jesus said, remember they're not really rejecting you first and foremost, they're rejecting Christ and the Father. Number two, do not assume that your family members are saved. I remember a lady long ago, she was very sad about her rebellious son, but she was convinced that he, that he was a Christian because before he, was, before he even went to school, he had prayed the sinner's prayer. He'd prayed this, pray this prayer and said, Jesus, thank you for coming into my heart. I accept you. Please forgive my sins. Something like that. And she was convinced that he's a Christian, though his life was screaming that, look at the rotten fruit. I'm not saved. I'm not saved. But she believed he was. And in a sense, you know, I feel sorry for her because I... I can feel something of what she feels because all of us, we hope, we really hope that our family members are saved. And sometimes we think they're saved because, listen, they go to church and they're faithful or they've been baptized or they pray before they have a meal. They say grace or now and then they read the Bible. They may even have some kind of family devotion and and they've said this. They've said the sinner's prayer, and and there was a time I remember he was so involved in the church and so committed in the church. And you know that's not the question to ask. The real question to ask is: Do they understand the gospel? Do they believe the gospel? Do they bear the fruit of repentance? Well, if they do, then I think we shouldn't be in too much of a hurry to say they're not saved just because they belong to a church where they don't have good teaching. Um, but what we will say, on the other hand, is if they don't bear the fruit of repentance, if they don't understand the biblical gospel, they are not saved. And they need the gospel. So stop acting as if they are saved. You're not helping them, and you're not helping yourself. Number three. Don't write them off. And these are all answers to the question that I asked in the beginning, the theme. What should we do with unbelieving family members? So do not write them off. That's what happens in Muslim homes and in Jewish homes and in Hindu homes. Uh, if any of the members of their family leave that religion, they are cut off. They are written off. And as Christians, how do we respond? We're not like these other religions. How do we respond to unbelieving family members? Well, Jesus tells us in the first place that we should love him more than we love our family. He said you should, if you do not hate your father and mother, your son and daughter, your brother and so on, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. Now, 
Jesus is using a form of speech we call hyperbole. And hyperbole means you, you exaggerate to such an extent that whatever you are comparing it with, you can see the great difference between this side and the other side. Let me give you an example. If someone, for instance, says, we went in this car and we went so fast that it looked as if the old Volkswagen, the VW Combi, was looking for parking. Now, you know, he wasn't really looking for parking. What we're trying to say here is, in comparison, if you compare how fast you were going to how slow he was going, then it looked as if he's looking for a parking, a place to park somewhere. That's what Jesus mean, means. Your love for him should be so great in comparison when you compare it to your love for your family that it should look like hate when you look at your love for your family. And yet, and yet, the Bible tells us, we do not write off our family. The Bible speaks of uh, unbelievers as those who have no natural love. 2 Timothy 3 verse 3. You just look at our unbelievers fight, and there's always fighting and bickering and divorce and, uh, and abortion, killing the unborn. There's no natural love. Uh, that's not how Christians should be. We do not write off our families. Number four, answer number four. What should we do with unbelieving family members? Well, believe that the Lord can save them. So there's the story of uh, an ex-Hindu woman. She's still alive. I know her. And she told me the story of her brother who wasn't a Christian. She got converted. And then her brother was, was almost hostile and angry toward the gospel and toward his own parents also, if I remember the story correctly. But to cut a long story short, in the end, he was lying on his deathbed and he said, please can she come and see him? She wanted to see him and he said he allowed her to come. And She went and her and her husband went and they visited him for the number of weeks. They were there in another country and in the end he got saved. He got saved. And then a few weeks later he died. It reminds me of Another story I just watched this week on Living Waters' website. That's Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. And there was this guy on the, uh, one of the videos on YouTube. And he shared how he had grown up in a very wealthy house. His father lived in a mansion, very wealthy. And his mother went to church, but his father was not interested at all. And then his father and mother got divorced. I think he was nine years old. Or at least, no, his mother died when he was nine, I think, of cancer. And then he grew up with his father. And his father and him had a really good relationship. And he would go to church, but hear shallow preaching. You know, like, Jesus wants to make your life better. Jesus wants you to be a good person. Nothing of the cross and repentance and sin and salvation and the resurrection and so on. But he would tell, he'd speak to his dad, you have to give your life to Jesus. And his dad said, no, in a nice way, you know, thanks, I'm, gl I'm glad that's what you think, but I'm fine, I, I don't need that. And eventually, when his dad was in his 80s, he had several quite major operations. And now, now since then, the son had been saved before that. He became a real Christian under the preaching of Ray Comfort. And he wrote a letter to his father after his father had become ill, saying to his dad, Dad, I want to share the gospel with you. I really want you to be in heaven with me and we can worship the Lord Jesus and so on. 
and when his dad was 97 years old, lying on a sickbed, his dad called him into the room. And he said, I want to repent of my sin. I want to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And his son shared the gospel with him, and his dad became a Christian. Uh, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him for 33 years at least. 33 years. Jesus had grown up, and they'd grown up with him. Uh, John 7 verse 5 said they didn't believe. And Matthew 13, we read of them. We even read their names. And then in Acts 1 verse 14, we read that his brothers believed. His brothers were there at the prayer meeting. They'd become Christians. And then two of them wrote books of, books of the Bible. The book of James and the book of Jude were written by Jesus' brothers. And we know that from Matthew 13, where their names are mentioned. So right through the Bible, why am I telling these stories? I'm telling you the stories to show you that throughout the Bible, that God often saved people and blessed people and gave them lots of favor because they had believing family members. They weren't Christians, but then there were Christians in the family. And because of the Christians in the family, God even blessed the unbelievers. For instance, Noah's family. Now, it doesn't say his sons were unbelievers, but because Noah was a righteous man, God spared his whole family. In Genesis 18, we read of Abraham, who instructs his family and who teaches his family the ways of the Lord. And in Genesis 19, his, his nephew is saved from Sodom because of Abraham. It tells us in Genesis 19:29, God remembered Abraham and therefore he saved Lot because Abraham prayed in Genesis 18. In Psalm 112 and 128, we read of the man who fears the Lord and his whole family is blessed. The same in several verses in Proverbs. If you fear the Lord, your children will have a refuge and your children will be blessed after you and so on. You raise up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isaiah 59, 21, and then many verses. I've got them here. Uh, in Acts, you read all those verses of he and his household, he and his whole family got saved, he and his whole family believed, he and his whole family, and so on. So there are all these family and household verses in the New Testament, and it tells us that a, a very general pattern is that if the head of the house gets saved, it's, it's not a rule to say this will always happen, but generally... You have the father who becomes a believer and then the rest follow. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it even says if you've got a, um, let's say a husband and wife, they married, but one of them is not a Christian, that the non-Christian is made holy because of the Christian. Or he's sanctified. And the same with the children. They're not Christians yet, but they're sanctified. What does that mean? The word sanctified or made holy means you are set apart. It's like God sets you apart to live in this gospel atmosphere, as it were. And you hear the gospel, you see the gospel, and God can use that to save the non-believers in that family because of the Christian in the family. So, so let's then influence our families for Jesus, just like Timothy's mother and grandmother did. They taught him the gospel and he was saved. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 and 3 verse 14. Now I want to make that very clear. You must understand, that is a general rule. If you fear God, if you are a person and you pray for your family to be saved and you share the gospel and you set a godly example, the general rule is they'll be saved. But there are exceptions to the rule. You can do everything you should do, but your family won't believe. Or on the other hand, sometimes you make a real mess of things, 
And yet God is merciful and he saves your family. The point I'm trying to make is there is hope. Even if it seems to you my family will never be saved. They might even be saved at age 97. Remember the Apostle Paul's conversion? It seemed that there was no hope for this guy to be saved. Do you remember your own conversion? Where people thought she will never believe. He will never be saved. Think of that and take heart. Number five. Answer number five. What we should do with unbelieving family is pray for their salvation. So George Muller, he was a man who had orphanages and he was a pastor in the 1800s. A German guy, lived in England. And one day he prayed with a friend. His friend was really concerned. The friend was a Christian, but the father wasn't a Christian. And the friend said, you know, my father has written me off. He's really angry because I became a Christian. Please pray with me that my father's heart toward me will change. And Muller prayed with him, and he said, also pray that my father would be converted. And they prayed, and the son went to see the father, and they sorted out their differences. And they had a, well, a nice relationship after that, but the father still wasn't a Christian. Ten years later, the father was converted. That's a nice story, where God hears prayer, and God answers prayer. Reminds me of Romans 10, that, that principle where Paul really prays for the Jews to be saved. And we can do that for our families. We can plead with God. We can pray to the Lord for these unbelievers in our families. And yes, we should understand, we should understand there's no guarantee. God has never promised that every unbelieving family member will be saved. But we can remind God. Of verses like, Lord, but you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Lord, you sent your son because you love the world, right? Did you not do so, Father? You didn't send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Lord, these unbelieving family members, they're blinded by Satan. Your word tells us they cannot see the truth, but you are stronger than Satan. You can shine light into darkness. You can shine into their hearts and save them. Lord, please, you commanded me to pray for all people. And you, you don't have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. You want people to be saved. You desire their salvation. You desire the salvation of all men. Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. Please, Father, save them. And then you might even pray that God will make things difficult for them. So that they would turn to him. Psalm 119.67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your law. But be very careful when you pray that. Don't pray that lightly. Because God might let your family member get into an accident or become paralyzed or someone close to them dies. So don't pray that lightly. And then also believe what, he, what God says in James 5 verse 16. Uh, the second part of the verse. It says the... Effectual prayer of a righteous man is powerful. So the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. And then you wait patiently. You keep on praying for your family. You wait patiently on the Lord. Remember Jesus' brothers. They got converted only 33 years later. I don't know how much older Jesus was than them, but Jesus was 33 when he died. And then when he died on the cross, they still didn't believe in him. They only believed after the resurrection. 
So don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. And then even if God saves your family member, don't stop praying. Pray that they would grow spiritually. Number six, share the gospel with them. There is a saying that's attributed and ascribed to Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi lived in the 11 and 1200s. Uh, but this really wasn't he who said this. But the saying goes, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. That is not biblical. Let me explain why. No one becomes a Christian because he saw you helping an old lady cross the street. They have to hear the message of salvation. They have to hear the gospel of the death of Jesus for sinners and the resurrection of Christ. So that's very important. Faith comes by hearing and what we hear is the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. How will they call on him of whom they have not heard and how will they hear unless someone preaches and how will they preach unless they are sent? So we need to share the gospel with our family. And if we don't, well, then we have blood on our hands. Ezekiel 3 and Acts 20 verse 26. So how should we share the gospel with them? Well, in the first place, don't attack them. Don't attack them. Don't go to your family and just show them everything they're doing wrong and look at their sins and look at what they're doing wrong again. You're not going to win them for the Lord by doing that. And besides, no one is saved just because he stops stealing or stops gossiping or stops getting drunk. What you should do is you should patiently endure the evil, as 2 Timothy 2 tells you, verse 24. Patiently endure evil, 24 and 25. And then you patiently work with them and share the gospel. And then you ask the Lord, Lord, open their eyes, grant them repentance, as 2 Timothy tells us in 2.26. And then you, you start telling them what the Lord has done for you and how he saved you, like the man in Mark 5, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus says, go back to your own people now and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And I know we're scared. I know we're scared. Well, then we need to pray for boldness. Lord, give me boldness. Help me not to be afraid. Help me to open my mouth. And remember, the Lord is your helper. You do not need to be afraid. What shall man do to you? He who is in you, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, is stronger than he who is in the world, which is the devil. And then also you pray for an opportunity. Lord, give me an opportunity to speak and perhaps even have them start and ask the questions. And you be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And then you also pray that God might send other believers across their path. Um, so you pray for, for laborers in the field. And you pray, oh, Apollos planted, and, or Paul planted, Apollos watered. And you may even ask a friend, will you share the gospel with my family? Then I'll share the gospel with your family. Because it's easier that way sometimes, like Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron did for each other. Ray Comfort shared the gospel with Kirk's father and then Kirk shared the gospel with Ray's family. And perhaps even a letter. I've decided to do that. I've written both letters. I've got English family and Afrikaans-speaking family. And I wrote a letter in each language, and I'll send it to them. So write a letter. And especially lockdown's a very good time. You've got some extra time on your hands, and you can tell them, listen, I can't speak face-to-face. -face. It's lockdown, and I'd like to send you this letter. And in the letter, make it personal. Don't say to all my family, to my whole family, here's a letter. No, make it personal. And say to John, John, I remember the wonderful times we had together as children. And then you, you 
talk a bit of that, and then, then you start in. And you know what else? Uh, during the time of lockdown, I really thought about my own life. And I remember when I was young, and then you start sharing how you became a Christian. But don't just share the testimony. Make sure you include the gospel, the message of Jesus' death for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, who Jesus is, his God who became man, and so on. And what they need to do, repent and trust in Christ. So do that, and then make sure that the letter's not too long. Please don't write a 45-page letter, because they're probably not going to read it. So make it three pages, four pages, and then in the letter, as I said, share your testimony, and tell them that you love them, and you really want your family to be in heaven with you. And perhaps you can send them an audio sermon via WhatsApp, send the link, and tell them, you know, this sermon of John MacArthur, or this sermon of John Piper, or whoever, it meant... A lot to me and I think it'll encourage you and then please very important don't bombard them with messages sending whatsapps and whatsapps and whatsapps it's like it's almost like you started with the first message you sent it's like you threw the crumbs out on the lawn and the birds started coming closer and then you threw just chunks of bread at the birds hoping that you will draw them but you just chased them away so don't bombard them with Christian messages on whatsapp You'll just put them off. Send them one message and then say, uh, I hope this encourages you. And leave it at that and continue praying for them. Now, what should you do if your family member, if he or she believes that I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but it's obvious to you. They don't understand the biblical gospel. They're not bearing the fruit of repentance. Well, I'd say don't argue with them. Don't argue with them. Just tell them what God has done for you, how the Lord saved you. And you might say, you know, it's always good to do um, introspection, not too much, but you just check our lives again. And then you leave it to the Lord. You trust God can save them. Even if at this moment they might think they're saved. I was like that. I thought I was a Christian when I was nine years old, and I wasn't. But God worked with me, and he saved me four years later. And so leave it to the Lord. Don't try and do his work for him. And then number seven, answer number seven what we should do about unbelieving family members, is don't forever be preaching at them. Uh, it's like that story R.C. Sproul told in his book, The Holiness of God. So a pro golfer, he gets to play golf with Jack Nicklaus, with the President of the United States, I think it was Gerald Ford at the time, and with Billy Graham. And afterward, his friend is so interested, he said, wow, you had the opportunity to play with, play with these three men. What was it like playing with the president of Billy Graham and Jack Nicklaus? And his friend was fuming with anger. And he said, I didn't need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat for 18 holes of golf. Wow. And he took a bucket of golf balls. He stood at the um, tee and he just whacked golf balls one after the other. And his friend just sat there in silence watching. And afterward, this pro golfer came and he said... And, and then the friend really said, so uh, Billy came down on you hard today, didn't he? And the pro golfer said, well, actually, no. Billy Graham didn't say a word about religion. I just had a bad day. What's the point I'm trying to make? The point is, if you've already shared the gospel with your family member, you don't, need, you don't need to do it every time you see them. They know you're a Christian. 
So now what you do, you've shared the Christian or the, the message once, the Christian message, message of the gospel. You don't need to do it every time. Now you, now you testify by the way you live, as Billy Graham did. He didn't say a word. He just, and this guy knew. He was an evangelist. He'd probably heard the gospel sometime earlier, and Billy Graham just lived it. You can now speak the gospel without words. As 1 Peter 3 verse 1 and 2 tells us. Where a Christian woman, her husband now has heard the gospel, he knows she's a Christian and she might win him for the Lord simply by the way she lives. Now I'm going to do a whole sermon on that later on, being married to an unbeliever. But that'll be later on. So if we want to be effective in this way, you must build a relationship with your family members. You can't win your family for the Lord if you never communicate with them. So make contact and, and be, be interested in their lives. Especially on days like their birthdays or Christmas or so. And be interested. Now I'm preaching to myself because I haven't done a good job at this until now. And I was really under conviction when I th started preparing the sermon and studying. And thought, wow, how, how can you teach this to others and you're not doing it as you ought. Well, I, I hope to now change that and I've written these letters and really praying that the Lord will help me to be involved and pray for my family more often. And then even give gifts like Ray Comfort did, just for no reason, give a gift. So there's this uh, atheist woman, Jacqueline Glenn, and she really went after Ray Comfort and sent, said some nasty, nasty things against him and about him. And then he sent her a card out of the blue with a $100 gift voucher. She was so surprised. She, like she almost fell off her chair. She said, I cannot believe this. And Ray Comfort, if you're watching this video, I want an interview with you. And she got it. And he shared the gospel with her. That was an excellent opportunity for the gospel. And then also be there for your family when they suffer. And again, I know I haven't been there as I ought to have been. But, but the point here is that your family is more open to the gospel in these times. So use this to your advantage to share the gospel with them. And let them see through your life. You're different. You're not the same. Uh, you don't look at ugly, dirty, and filthy stuff and ugly films. And you don't laugh at dirty jokes. And you don't get drunk with them. And you don't swear and gossip. Uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 12 said we put to silence what they say against Christ and against the gospel by our holy living, our holy conduct, our upright conduct. Because if you're going to sin with them, you throw away your opportunity for the gospel. I remember this once. I was standing next to another Christian, and I was about to share the gospel with, a, with this unbeliever standing there. And the Christian was angry about something, really angry, and he used filthy language. Ah, oh no. Opportunity thrown away, down the drain. So the fact that you will not sin with your family, that doesn't mean, oh, you're the sour person and you're not nice to get along with. No, you can be friendly and there's a place, a time and a place for clean humor and good humor. Now, maybe you've already thrown away the opportunity because you've sinned or maybe you've got into an argument with an unbelieving family member about religion, about Christ and the gospel or you lost your temper because they didn't want to listen to you. Well, what you need to do is go and ask for forgiveness and say, you know, it wasn't right of me to lose my temper. Please forgive me. And then win their respect back through a holy life. And then finally, number eight, 
Oh, no, this is not finally. This is second to last. Uh, number eight, remember your true family. So sometimes you have parents, they've got a really rebellious child and they spend a lot of time with him and focus on him because he's giving them so much trouble. And then they forget about the children in the home who aren't rebellious, who are good children and obedient children. We shouldn't be like that when it comes to uh, this matter. And, and so focus on your unbelieving family, you start forgetting about your real family. Who's your real family? Jesus said, these people here who do the will of the Father, they are my mother and my brothers and my sister. So that's your real family, is fellow Christians. They're your brothers and sisters. And you need to spend much time, lots of time with your real family, with your Christian family. And ask them, please pray with me for my blood family, for my blood relatives, that they will become Christians. And then even perhaps take a young Christian and disciple that young Christian if he or she doesn't have any Christian family and you're the only Christian family they have is the church. And then take them like Paul took Timothy. Although Timothy did have a believing mother and grandmother, his father wasn't Christian, but Paul took him and he discipled him. And then here's finally, number nine, make sure you are saved. So as I was preparing the sermon, I read different articles and, and then I saw that even the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Prosperity Gospel, they've also got uh, answers to this question. How can you talk to unbelieving family members that they can be saved? Well, what does it help you like that? The Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not saved. Prosperity gospel, that's a false gospel. They're not saved. And now they want to win others and say they're unbelieving family members. And the same with us. What does it help that you want to save your unbelieving family members, but you're lost? You're not a Christian. So you need to search your own heart to see, am I really a Christian? Paul says that, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself <coughs> to see whether you're in the faith. So here are the three tests from 1 John to see if you're a Christian or not. The first is the doctrinal test. And that is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the true God? That Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet only one God. Do you believe Jesus is truly God? And that he became truly man. For 33 years on this earth he lived a sinless life. And then he died on the cross to take the punishment for sinners like us. He was buried. He died. He was buried. And he was literally bodily resurrected on the third day and that you must repent of your sin and trust in Christ for salvation and that's the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ not through good works faith alone grace alone faith alone Christ alone second test is the moral test do you hate your sin do you love obedience and if you look at your life in general, which weighs more, sin or obedience? And then the third test is the social test. Do you love other Christians? Really love them? And you prove it through practical deeds of love and practical deeds of sharing and, and wanting to be with the believers, with other Christians. That's where you desire to be and where you feel comfortable. Well, if you take the test and you say, you know, I failed the test. I'm not a real Christian. I see it for the first time. I thought I was, but I'm not. Well, if you're not saved, why not repent? Even this day, repent of your sin. Believe the gospel. What is this gospel? It's the gospel that tells us God is a holy God. God hates your sin. 
God is righteous. You have sinned against God. You have an evil heart. You have an evil nature. You've broken God's law. You care for yourself alone. You don't care about God. And if people know deep down in your heart who you really are, you'd have to leave town. And you say you're righteous, but you're wicked deep down inside. You're thieving, you're lying, you're pride and jealousy and bitterness and anger, your secret sins you think no one knows, God sees. And so on and so on. So see the evil and the hopelessness and the lostness of your own life. And then see the solution, not in yourself, because you've already messed up. You cannot fix it by saying, now I need to do some good stuff. It's like a murderer thinking, now I need to do some good stuff to make up for the murder. You can't. Look away from yourself and look, to the, look at the solution in Jesus Christ. Who lived the life you should have lived but didn't and died the death you should have died and you don't need to die that death. Because he died it for sinners, he took the punishment, he drank the cup of God's anger over our sins, he was buried and raised from the dead and you need to now repent of your sin and trust in Christ. And call out to him for mercy and he will save you. That's the gospel that you need to believe. And that's the same gospel that we need to share, share with our unbelieving family members. And who knows? Who knows what the Lord might do through that? John Bruin was a man, I don't know when he lived, uh, a Puritan called John Flavel writes about him. But John Bruin was a very godly man and he got married to a godly woman, but her family was very ungodly. They were evil people. And he was forced, I don't know why, but him and his wife lived with a mother-in-law for the first year of their marriage. And through John Bruin, God saved his mother-in-law, his sister-in-law, his wife's half-sister, his two brothers-in-law, and one or two of the servants. And may it be, may it be the same with you, that you are praying for this one family member to be saved. But may the Lord surprise you and do more than you even ask or think and save many family members. Isn't he the God who does exceedingly above all that we can ask or think? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now and we ask that you would please Hear our prayers for our unbelieving family members. Oh Lord, save them, we pray. Save them and give them eternal life, the life that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.